Fishing for a show aimed at the outdoor enthusiast? Tune in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, Saturday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, and on the Sirius XM app. Welcome in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. If you love fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors and want to make it even better, you're in the right place with host Rob Keck. Your adventure starts right here. Good morning and welcome, and thanks for tuning into Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, where truly your adventure starts right here. I'm Rob Keck, your host, and thanks for joining us here, and I hope you're doing something fun outdoors today. You know, if you're a hunter in the South, uh, you could be out there rabbit, fox, gray squirrel, hog, duck, goose, quail hunting, and, you know, there's so many opportunities right now. The weather's just just great, and, you know, in some parts of Dixie, deer hunting is in full swing. In fact, the whitetail rut is just happening in many parts of Alabama and Mississippi. If you go north, well, even though it's cold, there's... uh, uh, some snow, but you know, hunters can hunt snowshoe hares. They can hunt cottontail rabbits, squirrels, ducks, geese, grouse, and a lot of outdoor activities up there. But if you come to Texas, my gosh, you know, I was here two weeks ago at Dallas Safari Club, and uh, you know, I heard guys talking about, uh, you know, they were going to go to their leases and hunt hogs, going to hunt quail. Some guys are going to hunt sandhill cranes, waterfowl. Even a turkey season or two is open in, in parts of that state. And right up through the Midwest, lots and lots and lots of opportunities. Then if you go far west, hey, ducks, Canada geese, snows, specks, they're all in season. And some of our guys along the Rocky Mountains, they're out there behind the hounds running mountain lines. Well, don't let the cold weather keep you indoors. Enjoy the opportunities that await you. It's all there for the taking. Well, this is, as I've mentioned previously this month, is Conservation Sport and Outdoor Show season where you can explore the opportunities with outfitters. You can book trips. It's the time to apply for these special big game draw tags in many of the western states. So don't miss the deadlines. Some of them are right at the end of this month for elk, sheep, mule deer, mountain goats, bears, moose, and more. Our show today, we recorded it at Dallas Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. And, uh, you know, as with everything in Texas, it was big. It was a big event. And uh, it met its billing as the greatest hunter's convention on the planet. You know, they brought over 50,000 people from all over the globe. And, uh, you know, it just impressed me with the licensed guides, the outfitters that were there, and some of the art, the equipment, latest gears. And the auctions where they raise money for conservation. And uh, you need to check it out for next year in January 2021. Well, today we've got two guests with us. And we're going to focus on the conservation footprint of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation. And we're going to touch on some of the conservation projects. What conservation actually means, both here in the U.S. and worldwide. And some of the challenges of conservation. And certainly the conservation work, uh, all of it through Dallas Safari Club. Our two guests, well, they've committed their lives to to the future of hunting, to wildlife conservation. And Richard Cheatham, he's been with us before, president of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation, past DSC uh, president, and with us from the Outdoor Adventure, he's the Outdoor Adventure Coordinator for the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, Scott McClure. Richard, Scott, welcome to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thank you, sir. Good Thank to be you, here. Rob. Great to be with you. Oh, man, i tell you what, you guys are just, you carry the water for so many people, and, uh, you know, your background's quite varied. Uh, Scott, tell us about, about your uh, your role there 
as the Outdoor Adventures Coordinator. Yes, sir. I taught the class as a public school teacher for 10 years, and uh, the Dallas Safari Club and uh, several foundations at the time said, let's make this grow. And so we developed a curriculum, and uh, being a teacher, I was kind of pegged for that job, and all of a sudden it just took off across the country, and I'm just excited to be a part of it. Well, that's great. We're going to talk a lot about that here uh, later on the show. And of course, Richard, my gosh, you've worn a number of hats, uh, Dallas Safari Club, and uh, give us a little bit more about your background. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a, a licensed attorney and practice law here in Dallas for 39 years before uh, devoting everything, my full-time occupation, to becoming the executive director here of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation. But uh, but as you said, I've, there's not a hat I hadn't worn, and uh, uh, and, and the, one of the, the great tie-ins that I like with Scott and, and, uh, and Outdoor Adventures and OTF is that that's the way I got involved with the club. I, my son came through the program uh, many, many, many years ago. I saw the work that the volunteers did. I saw what impact they were having on youth. And I thought, well, I, I, need, to, I need to get involved in this. I need to participate in this as well. And, and 30 years later, here we are. That's a, that's a major shift. You know, coming from, you know, a, an, an attorney here in a big city of Dallas and uh, very successful, to then commit your life to to the future of conservation and hunting. You know, what What helped make, I mean, you just explained that, but I'm sure we've probably got some lawyers listening right now saying, okay, what really flipped that switch? I mean, to, to say, okay, I'm going to put my law degree aside. I can use it, though, in the work that I'm doing, but I'm going to go to work full-time now for uh, a conservation effort. Well, it, it, I feel like... <laughs> I've, everything I've done up until this point has prepared me for the job I'm in now. Uh-huh. Uh, and certainly having the legal background that I have, being able to, I've formed other nonprofit organizations. I've, I've, I've advised others on governance. I've worked with them in every aspect of nonprofits. And so I feel like this isn't what I was meant to do, and I've just been preparing for it. And I, did, I finally got here at age 60, but, uh, but I'm here. Hey, that is great. God has a plan for all of us. And, uh, you know, that's the exciting thing. We never know what lies around the next corner. Well, for those unfamiliar with the Dallas Safari Club Foundation, Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit about the foundation uh, here in just, we've got just about a minute or so before we take this next break. Sure. We are the charitable arm of Dallas Safari Club. We uh, fund projects that support the mission, which is conservation, education, and advocacy. Um, And we also have a messaging uh, campaign that we'll talk about uh, hopefully here in a few minutes to spread the word of all the good work that hunters and hunters dollars do. Yeah, well, we talked about that actually in the Conservation Advisory Board meeting back uh, a couple weeks ago when we met. And, uh, you know, that is so, so important to message the good work that's being done and message the challenges that are out there that are, that are facing wildlife. You know, so many times we, we fail to recognize that, uh, you know, what hunters are doing improves the quality of life. And I know our listeners hear me say that all the time, but. You know, we don't say it nearly enough. We don't demonstrate it nearly enough. And what you're talking about, uh, you know, is just really taking and, and blasting that across the, not just across the country, but around the globe as well. So uh, with that, when we come back. We're going to talk about uh, a variety of these projects. Going to move to this first break. We return. Going to continue our conversation on the important work of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation. This and a whole lot more coming right up. I'm Rob Keck, your host, right here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Words cannot describe this land we call the Ozarks. You can see it in their faces. 
hear it in their stories. Feel it in the natural beauty. And now, you can experience the Ozarks of yesterday with the ancient Ozarks Natural History Museum at Top of the Rock. A place of inspiration and appreciation. An opportunity to honor those who came before us and celebrate this land we are blessed to call home. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting here today with Scott McClure, the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, and the president of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation, Richard Cheatham. Richard, how does the Dallas Safari Club Foundation differ from DSC? We are a a 501c3 organization, which allows us to accept tax-deductible donations. Um, it, 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 we have somewhat slighter uh, or somewhat more rigid uh, restrictions on what types of projects that we can fund that Dallas Safari Club can, but we are set up so that we can actually go out there and join the, 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 the charitable foundation world and solicit donations to, from, from people that, uh, uh, that ultimately will go back into these projects that we support around the world. Okay, and you have a board of directors? We do. We have a, a board of directors. We have seven directors. Uh, now from all over the state of Texas. Um, we're a relatively young organization. We're still getting our feet underneath us, and, and my, this is now my one-year anniversary of my present position. So I, it's uh, uh, we're growing it, and we're growing it the right way. At least that's what I'd like to think we are, and I hope people will agree with us yeah. once they learn more about it. Uh, well, I know in one of the communications you sent to me, uh, you know, over the life, you said young life of the foundation. Uh, I think you've raised, what, over $6 million to spend on projects. And uh, I know, Scott, you're one of the recipients of that, and that's why you're here. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to get a little bit more into into DSC's foundation. Tell us about raising money. You know, that's a challenge. We've got, you know, many, many nonprofits in this country, and, uh, you know, many of them go back to the same people for for dollars and support. And uh, I know your convention, your sporting expo generates money, but how do you do that? How do you raise money? Well, as you said, most of the money presently comes through the found, the, uh, the convention, but uh uh, but we now have, with what we're doing with the, the messaging campaign and the development of some of our grants and action video, we're preparing the ammunition that we can go out to the public with and say, this is what we do with your money. This, if, if you want, I, when I give charitably, I want to know that it's being used for a good purpose. I want to know that, the, that they're good stewards of the money. Mm-hmm. And we've been trying to develop proof of, of what we've done for the last couple of years to show people that we are, we're going to, we're going to spend the money that, the way that you want us to. We're going to spend it in, in mission specific projects and we're going to spend it on projects that make a big difference, not only with respect to saving animals or providing scientific research, but to help promote international hunting and, and not just international hunting, but hunting in general. Yeah. You know, Scott, uh, we were together at a reception that uh, your organization uh, put on, and uh, I was really impressed with the video, uh, a lot of the uh, printed material that you have, uh, equally important for your foundation. 
Absolutely. You have to get the message out there. And the, and the best way to do that is have something that they can take, they can read through social media, through direct contact, and as something that they can pick up, look at, and go, okay, I want to know more about this organization. And we have different platforms where they can learn about us. Yeah. Well, Richard, the projects. Uh, you know, you've got projects in all parts of the globe. And, uh, you know, what? as you look at grant proposals, what are sort of the, the, the benchmarks that say you've got to reach before you write that check to go to that project? First and foremost, they have to meet the mission statement. And if it's, not, if, it's not, if it's even close to not meeting the mission statement, we won't do it. What is that mission statement? A mission statement, to, 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 to sum it, to, to boil it down, is conservation, education, and, and hunter advocacy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we get a lot of interesting proposals, and some of them have lots of appeal. And there's a lot of great projects out there that just don't fit our mission statement. We would mm-hmm. love to do it. We would sure. love to help them. But, but when they don't, we cannot accept money. We can't solicit money and then spend it on non-mission-related projects. And yeah. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is people that do, we have to vet the people and make sure that they're actually going to do well with what we do and give us feedback so that we can turn around and tell our members and the general public, again, this is what we do. This is, this is, the, this is the good that hunters do in the U.S., worldwide. This is, the, this is the information that we need to get out there to that middle ground public that doesn't necessarily love what we do or hate what we do, but they need to, they've heard us t- say we do good things. We need to show them. Yeah. Well, geographically, I know you've got projects going on around the world. Why don't you uh, just give us sort of a, a, a thumbnail of some of the different parts of the world, the continents that, that you're doing work on? We, we have a heavy, heavy influence or a focus right now in Africa that's kind of ground zero on the attacks against hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's obviously where uh, poaching is a big, big problem. So we yeah. spend a lot of money on anti-poaching projects. And and, uh, and and that's one of those types of projects that, that I don't care who you are. I don't care what you think about hunting. But no one likes poachers. And no one likes the impact of poaching. And funding anti-poaching projects resonates with everybody. And so we're, we're really looking for good anti-poaching programs. So let, me, let me just stop you right there. You know, that word poaching, I, I think we may have listeners that are non-hunters. W- explain what poaching is, because as a lawyer, you understand that uh, people break the law and then try to defend their actions Tell us about poaching. Yeah, it's it, it, a lot of times people will blur the lines between poaching and, and, and regulated hunting if it yeah. served their purpose. But poaching is illegal hunting. It's the illegal harvest of game. It's the harvesting of game in violation of whether it's state, federal, or local law. Out of season, a bigger, exceeding your bag limit, whatever it might be, or taking taking game that's never uh, that's not listed as a game animal to begin with. And, and everybody hates poaching. Poaching has a negative impact, and poaching... Uh, uh, people associate hunters with poachers. We're not, uh, but we have to. We have to overcome that stigma. We always have yeah. to try to draw that distinction. We we do so many times in the media. I mean, we we as hunters, as uh, you know, lawful, ethical, responsible people, get listed right there with you know these lawless individuals that are out there stealing. You know, if, if you are a poacher here in the states, I mean, you're stealing from the people of that given state, and. Uh, Golly day, we've 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 got to do a better job in trying to delineate that to to tell that kind of story. And uh, gosh, well, you were talking about Africa. Where else? 
Well, here in the U.S., we've got a couple of projects. Uh, we, we support uh, the, the work of Wild Sheep Foundation and other sheep restoration projects. We've actually supported Texas Parks and Wildlife. No one knows this. It's not a sexy story. But uh, the Trans-Pecos pronghorn population basically cratered a number of years ago. And Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has been responsible for restoring that project. And, of course, we're, we're Texans. We love to support them. And they do a really good job with it. But we build guzzlers to provide water resources, not only for desert bighorn sheep, but every other animal lives in that habitat out there uh, and so we're 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 always looking for good north america projects yeah well we're going to come back and talk more specifically about some of those projects but we've got to take our next break so we're returning going to continue our visit here with scott and richard and i'm rob keck your host right here in bass pro shops outdoor world thanks for joining us and we will be right back To promote natural conservation and preservation. To protect the natural environment and its wildlife and plant life. To acquire ecologically significant undeveloped land and maintain it for the benefits of future generations. This is the sole purpose of the Dogwood Canyon Foundation. A nonprofit organization founded in 1990 by Johnny Morris. The foundation owns one of the most significant pieces of land in the Ozarks Dogwood Canyon Nature Park. 10,000 acres of unspoiled wilderness, just as it was centuries before us. It, it makes you think back what were things like. Yeah, and I just. What were the people like? What are these critters like? And what, what was the stream like? I think some of the canyon would be very much today, just like it was thousands of years ago. For the nature lover, the adventure seeker, the curious, this is your playground, your classroom, your own piece of the Ozarks to discover, explore, and enjoy. Dogwood Canyon Nature Park is all about conservation, preservation, education, and having fun. You know, it's not so much we created here, but what we try to preserve. Because to me, this place is kind of a little slice of what the Ozarks is all about. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us here. And if you've just tuned in, we are so privileged to have with us Scott McClure of the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation and Richard Cheatham, the president of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation. Uh, when you look at uh, uh, priority projects that uh, the foundation funds, Richard, uh, is there, how do you rank them in importance? You know, I know I serve on a foundation board also, and, you know, they've got to meet the, the pillars, the mission of, of what that foundation is. And then you're faced with, you know, this, this decision. How do you elevate those grant proposals to one, two, three, four? And I know you've got a board that then, you know, make, helps make that decision. But is, is there something that, uh, that triggers 
the ones that go to the top level. There are. As a matter of fact, the, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to let the, your audience know that you're gracious enough to serve on our Conservation Advisory Board. We have six or seven distinguished members that have offered input on all of our grant applications and help us rank and rate those grant applications. But what we also look at is, is the quality of the individual. And again, the history of them actually doing the work. Are they good at doing it? And, and do they have results? And are they capable of giving us feedback that then in turn allows us to go back and, and again, tell the world what we're doing. There's two, there's two aspects of this messaging campaign. And again, it's to, it's to convince our local members and our donors and our supporters, but it's also to reach that public out there. Yeah. Well, Richard, one of those uh, projects, one of those grant uh, recipients is the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. And uh, uh, tell us how, what made you decide that you needed to support this out outfit well it's it's been a it's been a, a, a huge part of Dallas Safari Club forever and ever um, and and uh, and I actually got my start my involvement in Dallas Safari Club when my son went through the program many many years ago and I saw how dedicated they were and I saw how many kids that they were reaching through their program uh, and I saw the the impact of what that was going to mean to hunting in the future and I thought okay we need to do this and I actually served as a trustee on the uh, the board of DE former former name uh, D- Dallas Ecological Foundation about five or six years ago they're good people and it's a great program scott has done an amazing job with well i'll tell you what folks this guy is a ball of energy let me tell you 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 can't hardly keep up with this guy he's on his a game all the time scott mcclure tell us about the outdoors tomorrow foundation yes sir thank you uh just want to point out that uh, our largest recipient or the grant that we receive over years and years and years has been the dallas safari club and the dscf and we couldn't do our job without them so uh everybody that's involved with our organization has ties with the dallas safari club and and we have a lot of folks that volunteer and they say i want to get involved with this youth but basically our mission statement is outdoor education and conservation worldwide and we do that conservation through education but we target 100 percent the general public every one of our students are from public and private schools and we target them directly in the school system well Outdoor adventures, what what is that? You you gave me that bullet to talk about, and uh, uh, just take it from there. Our primary education program is outdoor adventures. It is a physical education curriculum. We chose this route to be able to teach the North American model and teach wildlife conservation and teach the skills that we love: hunting, fishing, archery, all the outdoor skills. But to do that, you have to match the standards so the public school will accept it. And use it, and we've been able to create a curriculum that is now taught across the country in 35 states. But the idea is, how can I get the next generation of our future voters, future outdoorsmen, future outdoors women to enjoy the outdoors properly? And we do that through outdoor adventures. Well, I think that uh, a lot of people, you know, when they listen and they hear these words, uh, the North American model. I guarantee you, we've got listeners right now that don't know what you're talking about. Explain that a little bit more in some simple lay terms, if you would. Absolutely. The, the thing is, people think wildlife has been around forever. And unfortunately, back around the turn of the century, most of our wildlife populations were diminished. And thankful to Theodore Roosevelt and many conservationists, they created a way to fund future wildlife projects, what we call wildlife conservation, through taxes and things of those people that use it, and making sure that the wildlife wasn't uh, consumed at a level that could not be retainable. So 
by doing these laws, there's seven different areas that we can make sure that we have this. Every state can help regulate the wildlife, and the wildlife is owned by the public, not the landowner. Mm-hmm. So all wildlife is protected to make sure we have the right possession and bag limits to keep a sustainable population. So that's the message we teach. Yeah. Well, I know in our conversation we had when you and I visited, uh, you know, you talked about uh, delivering this uh, in physical education classes. So how can you teach wildlife conservation as a phys ed class? Yeah, that's a great question that we get. And basically, we target the physical education because we can create games and actions and activities and kind of go around just saying, I'm going to teach you about hunting, but instead I'm going to teach you about wildlife. So we teach predator-prey games. We teach opportunities to learn about wildlife so that it can be sustainable by playing a game. And then after the students play this game in PE to get their credit, then the teacher follows up with the hunter education manual that's available in all 50 states to go over habitat and to go over the different components of the habitat and to go over the different parts of a firearm and why we hunt and so that hunting is part of wildlife conservation but we do it through PE. Well that's uh, exciting you know a lot of kids don't like to go to PE I think now you're giving them a reason to go there and uh, you know I've seen it through the wolf school which uh, you know we host through the wonders of wildlife uh, national museum and aquarium and it was amazing to me the kind of feedback we've gotten from parents that said uh, you know these fifth graders if they even think they're sick and their parents say you need to stay home say mom dad I want to go. I don't want to miss the canoeing course today. Or we're going to go shoot muzzleloaders at the rifle range. Or we're going to go stock trout today. And uh, I know that this has really helped attendance. I think it's helped in so many different ways in behavior, in uh, self-esteem. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, we have uh, 50,000 students in the program this year alone enrolled in the schools. And we hear from all of our teachers that their classes have grown by 30%. Now it becomes the most popular class at school. And the reason being is the students want something new. When you target middle school and high school students in PE, they've been playing volleyball and golf and all those things forever. They want something new and exciting. So when you present something that they can use for the rest of their life, like hunting, like fishing, like shooting sports and boating, they're eager to get there and all of a sudden you got that parent going wait a minute my 13 year old wants to go to school what's going on so we actually call it a two for one we not only get the child excited we get that parent excited because now they have a teenager that wants to be in class great stuff takes us right to our next break we return going to continue our discussion right here the dallas safari club foundation's conservation footprint and this is rob Keck. you're listening to bass pro shops outdoor world and we will be right back Sirius XM's Rural Radio, your gateway to the rural lifestyle. This is Rob Keck, host of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, with the latest information about hunting, fishing, and more. This is Janet Atkinson, host of FFA Today, your in-depth look at the nation's premier youth organization. Get connected with Real Ag Radio. This is Sean Haney. We'll talk markets, agronomy, machinery, and cover the real-time issues affecting farmers and ranchers in all of North America. Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147, or listen on the Sirius XM app. 
I'm Larry Weissen, life member of the Dallas Safari Club, and I'd like to invite you to become a member of the world's finest outdoor conservation organization whose mission revolves around wildlife conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. DSC is a worldwide organization comprised of like-minded outdoor people who have granted more than $4 million in the last two years in support of projects involved in the scientific-based management of wildlife and habitat. To learn more and become a member, please go to biggame.org. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And uh, we're in the second half hour of the show. And we're having a wonderful educational, spirited discussion on the important work of the Dow Safari Club Foundation. And uh, we recorded this show uh, two weeks ago at Dow Safari Club's Heritage Convention and Sporting Expo. And with me, uh, I've got Scott McClure, the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, and the president of the DSC Foundation, Richard Cheatham. You know, Scott, I want to pick up where we left off. There's some more I want you to share with our listeners out there. Uh, Tell us about the growth of the program. You know, there's been a lot of youth programs that have been, you know, offered uh, over the last decade, and uh, some of them have been very successful. Uh, Some have just stagnated. They really haven't had growth and I know that you've had marked growth. Why don't you share some of those numbers with us? And I know, Richard, that's important to you as you look at granting uh, to an organization that is showing that something's happening out there. Uh, we've averaged about 30% growth over the last few years. Uh, when I first started promoting the program, there were 20 schools in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Today, we have 560 schools across 35 states, and we average 100 students per school. So this year alone, when we started in August, we were at 500 schools, so we had 50,000 students enrolled in public school. And the difference from our education from other conservation groups, instead of being a one-day or a weekend or maybe a week-long camp, We have them for 180 days. So if you take that 50,000 students and you have them for 180 days, which is 180 hours, it translates to 9 million hours of education. And so we teach all the outdoor skills, the hunter ed, the boater ed, the the fishing and the archery and the shooting sports. And one of the neat things that we like to show about our growth and what our donors want to see, they want to see that we're putting our our money where our mouth is. Uh, last year alone, we had 13,000 hunter education certifications in Texas alone that came out of a PE class of all places. Richard, what do you have to say about this growth? I mean, you've got to be impressed. Well, you, you have to be. And, and I've watched it for a long, long time. Um, and, and it's, again, I, I give Scott and Sean all the credit in the world they're, and, they're, and their board of trustees. Um, they are as passionate and dedicated as possible. And as you said, that type of performance is what makes it easy to come back and, and, and take another good look and fund that grant the next year. Well, Scott, you mentioned, uh, you know, the positive aspects of outdoor adventures, uh, you know, 13,000 hunter ed certificates. Uh, that's a big deal. How many of those kids then actually go hunting? Do you have any feel for that? Uh, you know, passing the course is one thing, and I'm sure that some some of those students, uh, they wanted to see what hunting was all about but may never hunt. But I know as our state fish and wildlife agencies are concerned for funding, uh, they've been looking at some declining numbers and the number of hunters. Uh, I guess, you know, the question ultimately comes up, 
how many of these guys actually convert then eventually to, to go out in the field and hunt? Absolutely. Mark Duda with Responsive Management did a research study for us, and he was great. And he showed that after each of those units, that 20% of those students were ready to go and participate in those activities. And through our own research, we found that there are thousands of students each year that get to go on their first hunt. Or even more than that, uh, closer to tens of thousands each year catch their first fish while in the class. Uh, if one particular school has a, a fish hall of fame, and he's got students from one end to the other end of the classroom with pictures of them catching their first fish. So that is a challenge for everyone. We can provide education, but then to provide access to the outdoors. So I challenge everyone listening to us today, take a child hunting, take a child fishing. If we did that every year, we could grow our numbers across the country. So to answer your question, we know it's in the thousands. Uh, we rely on lots of conservation groups to take those kids out in the field. Yeah. Well, when you look at the direct impact on the general public, I'm going to let each one of you answer to that. Uh, Richard, do you have any feel on, on how this uh, has an impact on the general public? Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of these parents of kids don't hunt either. And they, of course, live in a community. Uh, what, what, what do you hear? What, do you, what kind of feedback do you see? On well, this? It, it's, it's all part of that process of getting to that non-hunting public, that middle ground. And a, lot of the, a lot of the parents of the kids that are involved in this uh, uh, are hunters, um, but, uh, but I'm sure that the vast majority are not. And they come to that class. They come to, 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 to be involved in the program with different ideas about whether they approve hunting or think that there's value or merit to it. And so just the ability to impart that and having their kids come back and, and, and talk about how excited they were. Uh, and, and I was able to watch some of the lesson plans and see some of the lesson plans and, and see what the, the, the actual teaching uh, component was. And it's really, really important and, 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 and honed in and specific to, to grade level. Um, but they're getting that message. They're learning about the North American model. They're learning about the success of reintroduction of wild turkey in, in the continental United States. They're learning about some of those things that we always assume that people or hope people know, but they don't necessarily know. Yeah. How about, yeah, Scott, add to that? We like to gauge how the school is responding to their community by how the, the community supports the class. So, for mm -hmm. example, we have one school that has 700 students enrolled in their outdoor adventure program. That particular school has a gym that has been built by the school just for their archery team. They have a bass fishing team. They have 70 members in that group, 125 on their shotgun team, and they have about another 100 in their archery club. But what's neat about it is these kids are not involved in other sports. So the parents have created these clubs. So the parents have bought in. And the teacher just recruits and the parents run with it. So like I said, it's a two-for-one. we got a lot of parents out there that are engaging in these activities that they can use for the rest of their life. Yeah. So it's really benefiting uh, a much larger community than just school-aged children. And I think we've got to make sure we, we don't miss that point. Well, obviously, as we look uh, to the R3 program of recruitment, retention, reactivation, this is certainly playing a big role in that first part of that R3. And, uh, you know, I just uh, I can't thank you enough for, for the work that you're doing there. I know that uh, the Bass Pro Shops Cabela's Outdoor Fund uh, has supported this project as well. And very proud uh, to do that. Uh, look forward to, you know, this continued success, Scott, that uh, you've been having and uh, Golly day, if people want to find out more about the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, how would they do that? How can they uh, find the way then to contribute to your efforts? They can go to our website. It's gootf.com. So that's G-O-O-T-F 
com, And there's many different platforms there they can find out more about us. Uh, they can contact me directly. by My email is scott at gootf.com. I am a little bit odd. My name has got one T in it, so it's S-C-O-T. <laughs> At gootf.com. And I'd love to share that. And anyone listening that has contacts with schools, uh, I'd love to hear from them and see if we can get this started. Yeah, for sure. Listeners, don't hesitate. Scott is a ball of fire. He's going to make it happen. That's going to take us right to our next break. We return, going to continue our discussion here of the conservation footprint of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation right here in Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck. And we will be right back. This is a public service announcement test from TakeMeFishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water. Let's begin. Are you a bear? Do you have a beak? Does your name rhyme with old beagle? Do you dart in front of cars? Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? Do you have fur? I'm not talking back hair. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And we are back. And thanks for tuning in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Our discussion today is looking and exploring the conservation footprint of Dallas Safari Club Foundation. Uh, our guests, Scott McClure, Richard Cheatham. And Richard's going to talk to us uh, a little bit about one that uh, we were really hoping to have Patty Vaughn with us here today. And uh, uh, somewhere between Tanzania and Dallas, uh, she's gotten held up but has a really, really important project that uh, she's been involved with. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's one that is one that maybe most hunters wouldn't even have thought about. I, I, it's really interesting. Why don't you talk about uh, the Lion Illumination uh, Project, if you would, Richard? Happy to. Patty came up with the idea of putting strobe lights, solar-powered strobe lights on bomas and most people don't know what a boma is but it's a corral it's a corral in africa and it's a corral that's made of sticker bushes for for us in the south and the east it's greenbrier it's really thick greenbrier with really big thorns and, and and massive walls of this designed to keep predators off of the livestock because these people these pastoralists live and die off of livestock out there and so the loss of a cow the loss of a goat has a devastating effect plus you've got the people that take care of the livestock stock that are also tending to that that are exposed to those predators so she's come up with a program that allows her a project that allows that light that strobe light to be placed outside of the boma it's got multiple settings so it's not just a consistent flash because the predators get used to that mm -hmm. but it scares them away it keeps them away from the, the the boma and the significance of that is is if they lose a cow or a goat they're going to they're going to uh, retaliatory kill all the predators or the predators that they think killed that cow they're going to get everything. They're going to get the hyenas. They're going to get the cheetahs. They're going to get the leopards. They're going to get the lions. They're going to get the caracals. They're going to get the civet cats. They're going to get everything uh, because it's either uh, death by spear or death by poison. And it has a devastating effect on, on, on predator populations. Uh, and who would expect them not to, to, to try to protect their 
their their sure. livelihood and their and their family. Well, I think people do that in their own backyards. I, I mean, when you know, we want wildlife around, but a lot of people don't know how to live with it. And uh, in this case, uh, obviously, with uh, some large predators that are out there and uh, critters that can really devastate their lives, kill people, etc. Et uh, it's a it's a problem that uh, I know for many years. People are trying to solve. How do you live with with yep. these animals? Well, it's the whole concept of human wildlife conflict mitigation, and, and that's the that's the fancy name for what Patty's trying to resolve is is to encourage people and to and to, to, to 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 address the, the the fact that you have those those that depredation that loss of life. Strobe lights. Who would have ever thought of strobe lights? Can you give me a little more information? Where where did Patty come up with this? How did they implement that? How widespread is it? And uh, I, I'm still have I'm trying in my mind to think, uh, you know, how they've erected these things and these bomas to to do that. Give me a little bit more background. Yeah, and I, and I was hoping to, to have Patty here as yeah. well because I'm going to ask her some of the very same questions you were asking. But but this but this uh, but this strobe light basically looks like a trail camera. It's about the same size um, and it's got different settings on it. And that's that's basically what we do. We 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 fund patty so that she can purchase these strobe lights and 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 go back and forth to africa but she's presently in southern africa east africa and and central africa and we've actually been able to to use some of our contacts over there to get her uh to make inroads for her to get back into some of these other countries over there uh it's extremely effective um it's a it's a great program uh, and Patty's really good about documenting it. She sends us this great imagery back that allows us to to, to tell the world what she's done and how successful it's been. And there's been a, a, a negative side of, of, of Patty accepting support from a hunting conservation organization. It's it's caused some of the her other supporters to abandon her. This yeah. is a, a great project, but the anti-hunters and, and that group uh, have 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 rejected her and have abandoned her and and, and have called her every bad name you can think of because she's accepted this money that's still going to go to support the very same poor people and to protect those poor people that it did before she started taking money from DSC or DSC Foundation. Yeah, you shared that with me. I know Patty and her communication did as well. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't even make any sense to me. I mean, why would those those people then have dropped that support? I mean, why are they in business? In business, I guess, just to put hunting out of business. It, you know, sometimes it's helpful for us to be reminded of that and this, and to see that that hypocrisy exposed and then to tell everybody that that's you, you want to boil it down to what their agenda is. Well, there you go. Yeah, for sure. And I know, Scott, I'll just look back over to you, you know, to tell the story, uh, no matter where it originates from in the world, that, you know, hunting is good for conservation. And those people that take shots at us uh, or at, at the hunting community are really not telling the truth. So, You're exactly right, and I just love to hear what our students say. We'll have students say, I may never hunt, but because of this class, I have now been educated, and I understand the role of the hunter in conservation. And when I hear that, it's like a newborn baby. I'm like, wow, that is awesome, because that's exactly what we're trying to teach. Well, Richard, I know there has to have been some widespread acceptance of this. What has it done to change or improve the lives of the people that live there, you know, it's 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 hard for us to 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 fully understand the impact of living with wildlife, uh, living in an area where there's no hospital or clinic within sixty miles of you. There's no relief that's going to come to you. Nobody's going to come 
you know, help replace your cow or your goat. Nobody's going to take care of your child. And so uh, it, has, it, has, uh, it, it has a direct impact on, on wildlife over there because, because again, rampant, uh, non-indiscriminate killing of predators is a bad thing for everybody. It's a, it's a, it has a devastating impact on the whole ecosystem over there. Uh, and, and we have to encourage people that live with wildlife to live with wildlife and to accept them as a daily part of their life. And if they're being killed by wildlife or if they're losing their livelihood from wildlife, they're not going to do that. And those people, the professional hunters, the outfitters and guides, and the people that live there are the, are the stewards and the guardian of vast majority of the wildlife in the entire world, certainly in Africa. And, and you have to incentivize them. Well, certainly then you would say that this Lion Illumination Project is one that is a, a conservation benefit. It, it, it is. And it's also one that, for, that people are surprised that hunters can support. And I tell people all the time, hunters are the greatest conservationists. And this is an opportunity for us to say, you know what? We're not just trying to protect a, a, a population of animals. These lions that Patty is saving are in areas that will never, ever be hunted. And so hunters are showing how they are not just looking to, to make sure there's enough rhinos or elephants or lions for us to go hunt and kill. But we're, we're, we're protecting, we're, we're addressing the bigger picture and protect, protecting the populations regardless of where they are. Yeah, for sure. Well, that takes us again to our final break of the show. And, uh, man, we've got a few more things to talk about. We're going to wrap up this discussion on the conservation footprint of Dallas Safari Club Foundation. And you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck, and we will be right back. Welcome to a family adventure you won't find anywhere else in the world. Fun Mountain at Big Cedar Lodge. Located in the heart of the Ozark Hills, Fun Mountain is open year-round to the public and surrounded by spectacular views of America's premier wilderness resort. You'll have to see it to believe it. Dive into 16 lanes of bowling and discover a unique underwater ocean experience with hand-painted murals and aquatic sights all around. Walk the plank on our giant pirate ship full of climbing nets, slides, and even a ropes course designed for our littlest guests. Then head over to a 4,000-square-foot arcade where you can challenge your friends and win big. Need even more adventure? Play on our interactive climbing wall, take a swing in a golf simulator, or rack up a game of billiards. You can even take part in a larger-than-life laser tag battle at Fort Big Cedar with up to 24 other players. With so much to do, even the most experienced fun seekers may need a break from the action. Sit down and relax at Uncle Buck's Grill, where you'll find a full-service menu, all while overlooking breathtaking sights of the Ozarks. Think you've done it all? Think again. Fun Mountain has 360 degrees of entertainment. Spin around or go up and down with a whole new twist on bumper cars. This is the adventure you've been waiting for. From an underwater-themed round of bowling to a friendly competition at our laser tag arena, Big Cedar's Fun Mountain offers countless activities for you and your family to enjoy. To learn more, call or go online and make plans to discover Fun Mountain. Only at Big Cedar Lodge, America's premier wilderness resort. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to our final segment of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And we've been having a wonderful discussion on the conservation and project uh, programs of the Dallas Safari Club Foundation with Richard Cheatham and Scott McClure. You know, Richard, uh, 
you know, we've we've just talked basically on on two, three projects that you've been involved with, but it's far more reaching uh, right here in Texas. And I know you mentioned this early on, but uh, looking at the at the Desert Bighorn project, talk to us about that. Yeah, these the, the ecosystems in which the Desert Bighorns thrive are fragile, uh, and they are susceptible to massive fluctuations in their ability to, 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 to keep game and, and, and sustain game. And water is the key to life. Yeah, and, it is. And, and this Guzzler project, the Guzzler is a, is a, is a system that's designed to, correct, to collect either rainfall or condensation and save it so that the uh, wildlife that lives in the, in the habitat has access to it. And, and we, we always talk about the Desert Bighorn sheep, and that's a huge success story, not only in Texas, but across the Southwest. Uh, but everything else that lives in that habitat, desert mule deer, uh, 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 javelina, everything else that lives there drinks that water, too. And so that's vital to the protection of the ecosystem. Well, you know, it's pretty cool to, to look at some of the trail camera pictures set up on these guzzlers. When you look at that variety of critters, and we're talking about a lot of non-game species as well. I mean, you look at songbirds and, and other uh, critters that, that benefit from that. And, uh, again, that's not that's one of those projects you know the the non-hunting public doesn't really get to know and understand the way they should that you know we're benefiting far more than just the animals that we pursue yeah you know you have to protect wildlife and you have to protect habitat yeah and provide a safe uh, uh, an environment which it can thrive yeah well frequent guest on our show shane mahoney uh uh conservation visions Uh, i know you've supported his work with the wild harvest initiative and it's certainly been a real buzz throughout the the wildlife community why don't you uh, update us uh, there just a little bit on why the foundation would support this yeah shane came to us a number of years ago and had with the idea of of gathering data on the use and consumption of wild game in North America. Everybody, everybody assumes that it's a pretty significant number, but no one had any idea of how much game was harvested and how much game was consumed. We've got great programs like Hunters for the Hungry, and we know how many deer are collected in Texas, and you can extrapolate how many pounds of, of, of meat came from that game. But we had no, no uh, uh, North American continent-wide information. So Shane developed a program to get information from every state and every Canadian province to, to, to not only calculate the number of pounds and the number of, of, of pounds consumed, but the sharing of that game among a broader audience and just the person that pulled the trigger. And then the, the economic consequences of losing hunting and the replacement of that. Because you know what happens when, when you're not eating wild game? You're, you're consuming protein from a different source. You're converting wilderness to, 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 uh, to, to, to ranch land to support cattle, sheep, and other uh, forms of livestock that are going to produce the protein that otherwise people consume from uh, ducks, deer, elk, pronghorn, whatever it might be. Another project, New Zealand, tar. Tell us about the culling operation that's going on down there. Uh, you know, that uh, certainly has been one of those projects that the foundation supported as well. Tar are introduced in New Zealand, and they did extremely well. They came from the Himalaya. They're Himalayan tar. Um, Beautiful critter. They're, they're incredible, and they are high mountain. They're, it's a hard hunt, and they've done extremely well in New Zealand to the point where they're overpopulated. Uh, but the question is, is they don't know exactly how much they're overpopulated. And the government came back. You know, there's a buzzword, a negative connotation around invasive species. They're an invasive species, but, they, but they're not. They're, they're, in regulated numbers, they're just fine. But the government said, you know, we got way too many tar. We're going to go kill 30,000 of them. Well, we knew from talking to our friends over there that 30,000, they, they didn't have 30,000 animals to kill to begin with. And if you killed 29,000, you're going to wipe every one of them out. So yeah. we were... 
we jumped in and created the video to highlight what they were doing over there and to call in to make the public aware of what was happening. And that was enough from across the world to get the attention of the people within the government. Say, you know what, let's take a let's step back and take a look at this and see what we can do. And and the feedback we got from our friends in New Zealand, uh, the fact that we would step in and and within 36 hours of learning about this project, produce a video that called it into question and helped them stop. It was was really amazing, made us feel really good about what we're doing and, and our ability to reach around the world. Yeah, for sure. Anything else you want to touch on there? Uh, I'm going to go over to Scott here in just a second, but uh, project-wise, I mean, gosh, you guys, you know, have been around the world. I mean, from Brazil to New Zealand to, to Texas to Africa, uh, any, anything else there? Because, you know, it's been, been more. You've attended some really important conferences as well. Part of, part of what our job is is, is an advocacy role, to promote hunting, hunter uh, advocacy. And, and uh, uh, my, I've been exposed to the international scene and how hunting is viewed internationally. And, and I've, I've, Shane Mahoney, you mentioned, has been a big advocate for us and has been very helpful to me. But, but hunting is under attack. Uh, hunting around the world is under attack. And a lot of people say, well, I don't, why should I care about what happens in Africa? Because it's not going to affect me. Well, it is. We've already seen the attacks on grizzly bear hunting in British Columbia. We've seen the loss of black bear hunting in Florida after a successful season before. You've seen attacks everywhere. Now you're starting to see uh, state governments that are imposing import bans. And, 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 and whatever's happening in Africa, no one should assume that it's not going to come across the seas because it already has. It's yeah. happening here. It and so, is. And so what we're, able to, what we're trying to do from an advocacy standpoint is engage at the on the front end of this engage it's at this uh the convention on international trade and endangered species CITES has a meeting every three years we just got back from that in geneva about six months ago we have another major international conference that happens every four years that's coming up in in marseille france this summer uh, where wildlife policy is made and so far we have a lot of people that believe in sustainable use uh, right but they're being they're being attacked scott how about a final word here as we wrap this show up? Absolutely. Well, thanks to our donors and supporters like DSCF, the Bass Pro, Cabela's Outdoor Fund. Our goal is to hit 1,000 schools as soon as possible, and that reaches 100,000 students every single year wow. to teach in wildlife conservation. Outstanding. Richard, I'm going to give you the final word, and then tell us how people can find out. Where can they find you on social media and on the web? Tell us about that. Yeah, the website's uh, dscf.org. Uh, we've got a pretty active Facebook page, and we also have a YouTube channel under DSC Media. We, we've undertaken this messaging campaign. We've got a lot of really good videos to talk about the projects that we support and some of the advocacy messages. And so it's out there. I hope you come to the page. I hope you go to the website where you can see every single grant we funded for the last two years. We're, we're, we're as transparent as we can possibly be because we believe we're passionate about our message. We're passionate about the North American model. We're passionate about the ability of hunters to make a difference. And we need to convince the rest of the world of that. If people want to give money? What do they do? They come to the website. There's a there's a great uh, donor support program. There's a uh, there's ways to for for plan giving if they want to, or if they want to make a check, write a check, uh, or, or 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 give us wire instructions. It's all on the website under the uh, donate and the and the and the donor support program. Excellent. Or they can call me, Richard Scott. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for being with us today, and uh, congratulations on on the achievements that. Uh, both of your organizations have made to the future of our hunting heritage. Well, that's going to wrap it up right here today, folks, on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Rob Keck. On behalf of Bass Pro Shops, where your adventure always starts here. Thanks for answering the call. That call to conservation, preserving rich hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. We'll see you next week.
This has been Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Talking all things outdoors. Brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, your outdoor leader. Join us next Saturday and every Saturday for more special guests and unique locations. 